be seated. Great song. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Well done, band. Appreciate that. And just how wonderful it is to hear just us all sing together, right? To encourage one another with the truth of what God has done in our lives. So we praise Him uh, for that. And uh, what, a, what a good thing it is. So the call of Jesus has been pretty clear on those who would follow him. His disciples. The call was clear. It was simply that. The call is follow me. Follow me. Do what I say. Go where I go. Be with me where I am. Follow me. If you look back in Matthew over the last eight chapters, granted we had a pretty significant section in the Sermon on the Mount, but we see early on in Jesus' ministry as he's interacting with the world that he's calling disciples to himself, and he's uh, calling people like Peter and Andrew and James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, and he's telling, follow me, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And we read in the text a, a shocking thing as these people hear this call that immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. The disciples, those who are following Jesus. But you also see throughout the narrative as Jesus is going about teaching and he's healing, you see in the narrative that Matthew's being very clear that Jesus is followed by the crowds. Right On the one hand, you have the disciples hearing the call, follow me, leaving their nets. And on the other hand, you have, in, in, in the midst of all these miraculous works of Christ, that Jesus looks around and he sees that the great crowds are following him. So you have this of the disciples following Jesus, you have the crowds following Jesus. In chapter 8, you see the same thing, except for we are today, continuing in Matthew chapter 8. The disciples continue to follow Jesus, and Jesus is healing, and the crowds are also following Jesus, disciples and the crowds. And it makes you wonder a little bit as you read the narrative, is there a, a difference in the way that the disciples follow Jesus, the way the crowds follow Jesus? It begs the question, what is the nature of true discipleship? It begs the question for us, what does it really mean to truly follow Jesus as his disciples? important question for us today. How do we follow him as a disciple rather than just another member of the crowd? Let's look together. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Jesus, well, Matthew records this. He says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, 
I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and let and leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, amen, amen. I'll never forget and probably my family won't forget either Thanksgiving 2011. You know we're coming up on Thanksgiving already again, just just as an aside, okay? Thanksgiving 2011, we had uh, just finished probably what was our fourth piece of pie, uh, because that's what we do on Thanksgiving, and the day was coming to an end, and our kids were young at the time, and it was time to just get them home and put them to bed. Well, we had come in, if, if you knew anything about our previous home, it was one of those homes kind of built in to the hill, and so the garage came in underneath the house. You know what kind of house I'm talking about, where the garage is really in the basement? Yeah, it's kind of one of those houses. So we came in the garage, we came into the basement, and I look inside this half-finished basement, and it just hits me like a ton of bricks. I have to remodel this basement, like right now. Some of you, raise your hand if you're that type of personality. Like right now. Okay, I'm the only one. And Bob, yep, there's a couple of you here, right? Right now. And so as we're, the, Doreen's starting to put the kids to bed, I'm literally with my blue uh, pry bar and a sledgehammer ripping down one-by-one one tiles out of the ceiling for my half-inch basement. And basically what had happened was, in, the, in an emotional moment, I had made this decision. We will wait no longer. I am all in. Everything's coming down. And the ceiling came down and the walls. And then the next thing is what we didn't understand was what this would require in terms of time, emotion, and energy, not to mention the cash flow that needed to go in for all the recess lighting and the new drywall and, and, and all the things that we want to do with the tile uh, that went in the floor, all that kind of stuff. I didn't have any idea what I was getting myself into. You kind of understand a little bit of my personality, that I love to make quick emotional, like inspiring commitments, having absolutely no idea what this is going to mean for me or other people around me. Right, Doreen? <laughs> so here we are in this mess of a basement, and we're supposed to relax for the whole weekend, and now I got my family there putting in recess lighting and taking away all their time. You remember that, Dad. I know you do, listening in. Right, that. I didn't really understand the level of commitment that was going to be required for me to do this in the moment. You get that sense with the first individual that's approaching Jesus. Right? He comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, listen, I will follow you anywhere. I will follow you anywhere. It's this emotional uh, hastiness that this person has as he approaches Jesus. It's, it's fa- it reminds me a little bit of, uh, I went, not to give away my music preferences, but we went to a concert a few weeks back, the John Mayer concert at the fair. 
and I didn't know anything about this guy. We're just going to go hear a guy play guitar. And literally by the end of the concert, I looked at Dwayne and said, I think I could be a grouper. Like, I think I could follow this guy all over. The way this man plays guitar, just the way, like, it's an, we're just going to, there it is again. Those kind of commitments out of nowhere. You get that sense. I could, I could follow Jesus anywhere. And we see this statement come from someone that is kind of an unlikely person to make such a commitment. Matthew tells us that it's a scribe, verse 19. That it's a scribe, the legal expert, the one who knew and understood the law, the Torah. That a scribe comes up to Jesus and says, teacher, you understand what he's calling him, teacher. If you look throughout all of the Gospel of Matthew, when someone refers to Jesus as a teacher, it's not necessarily understood in a positive way. That there's some sort of inadequate understanding of who Jesus is in that moment. But the scribe comes up to Jesus, calls him teacher, and says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. It's almost like this expert in the law recognizes that Jesus has much to teach him. That from Jesus, he has a lot to learn. Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. You name it, I'll go there with you. And what does Jesus say? We would expect Jesus to say, awesome. This is where we're going next, right? Pack your bags, let's go. But actually what Jesus says puts us back on our heels a little bit. Jesus says to him, understanding his heart, knowing what's going on inside of him, understanding his inadequate view of who he is, potentially, Jesus says this, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What an interesting thing for Jesus to say in this moment. Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Who is the Son of Man? kind of an odd, ambiguous term. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head? What are you talking about, Jesus? Well, this term, the Son of Man, this is the first time that we see this term, this designation, the Son of Man in the Gospel of Matthew. And what Jesus is saying is he's referring to himself. He calls himself the Son of Man over 90 times in the Gospel. I believe 30 times in the book of Matthew, the first time here, Jesus is calling himself the Son of Man. And it's kind of an ambiguous term. It's, in some ways, uh, uh, pointing to his humility, his humiliation as the Son of Man. Just, just a man. And on the other hand, it's pointing to his exaltation. Because if you know anything about the prophet Daniel, you know that Daniel talks about someone who is the Son of Man who would rule forever. Overall. And so Jesus is calling himself the Son of Man. That's who Jesus is. He's that Son of Man of Daniel 7. And yet at the same time, it's it's also this humble servant that comes. Without fanfare. And here he is, the Son of Man. He says, listen, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This idea that that creatures have a place to sleep. Creatures have a place to settle in and hunker down for the evening for shelter. But I want you to understand, oh, you who are making a hasty, emotional decision to follow me wherever I go, understand this, that I don't have a place to lay my head. That if you're going to follow me, understand what's going to happen to you and what kind of an experience that is going to be. That if you're going to follow me, you're basically saying, I will follow you anywhere, but as far as you've got to understand, following me is a road to nowhere. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so what he's getting at here is this this cost, this great cost. You can imagine a scribe having such standing and status and potential affluence in the community in the sense that their needs were taken care of. They would have enjoyed certain comforts. And Jesus is saying that if you're going to follow me, expect to forfeit all of the comforts of the life of a scribe. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But following me means you're not going to have anywhere to just go to sleep. It really gets at the kind of ministry that Jesus has. It's an itinerant ministry. He's on the move. He's on the go. He's not settling in and relaxing anywhere. That much of the comfort of, of, of the, the life of the scribe would have to be forfeited. He's saying, if you follow me, be prepared to forfeit all the simple comforts, all the joys of the life that you know in this world. You have religious and social standing, presumably in your current life. How many things going for you, scribe? But following me puts all of that into jeopardy. Because I don't have much. I don't even have a place to sleep at night. Do you see that? Where Jesus brings forward to this scribe the cost. The cost of discipleship. He's saying basically, I don't think you understand the kind of cost that you will incur if you leave behind your life and follow me. I'm not sure you've counted the cost. You who say you will follow me anywhere. So that's what Jesus means. Right? Yes, the scribe understands that he has much to learn from Jesus. But he doesn't understand that he has much to lose in following Jesus. I wonder if many of us here today struggle with this very same thing. Or have, at the very least, in the past. To know that following Jesus, to truly follow Him, is going to be of great earthly cost to us. Do you understand that this morning? That to follow Jesus truly, it will be of great earthly cost to you, to me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. There's a death to this life. There's a death to the life that we have here as we pursue Jesus. Discipleship is not simply a matter of learning of gaining cognitive information that makes us smarter 
about the nature and the character of God. Not at all. Discipleship is a matter of losing. And the question for us today and the question for the scribe is, are we willing to lose? Are we willing to lose the comforts of American suburbia in our pursuit of Christ? Difficult question, as I live in one myself. Are we willing to lose the approval and the admiration of relationships in this world? As many of us know that in following Christ, there have been times where we have seen relationships severed, things lost, because of our commitment in following Jesus Christ. We think about the rich young ruler later on in Matthew. Jesus told him to sell everything. And the text says that he left and walked away from Jesus sad because he had many possessions. Are we willing to lose affluence, comfort, convenience, and possessions in the following of Jesus Christ? Do we understand the cost? Are we willing to lose uh, advancement in career? Are we willing to lose and put into jeopardy our accomplishments when it comes to our vocation in pursuit of Christ? Have you counted the cost of discipleship? Because to truly follow Jesus is of great earthly cost to us. I'll never forget a woman that attended a church that we had privilege to be a part of back in about 2008, 2009. It was during those years that Syracuse became a refugee resettlement city. I'm sure some of you understand that language. There were refugees coming from all over the world. They were coming to Syracuse. And we had some connection with some of the folks that work at Interfaith Work and were, were just serving in terms of integrating and bringing these folks into our city and our community. And we had the opportunity of getting to know a couple uh, by the name of Jacques and Atom. And they were from the Sudan. And I'll never forget when Atom shared her testimony with us as we tried to get to know her and understand where she had come from and how she got to Syracuse. She went on to tell us that she had fled from the Sudan and made her way to Uganda before she could make her way here. And in fleeing uh, the Sudan, the reason was because she had decided to become a, a Christian. She had heard the call of the gospel, and she responded in faith, hope, and trust. And the time had come for her baptism, to enter into the waters of baptism, to publicly display her newfound commitment and newfound faith in Jesus Christ. But the, the, the sad part of it was, is in the moment she was faced with the decision about whether or not she was going to follow through on this baptism and to publicly declare her faith, because the minute she did that, she was ostracized by her family. And her life would become in danger. And she records this, uh, the story, she tells us the story, that what happened was upon her baptism that she literally had to flee. She had to run from her family that was trying to stone her. 
You could imagine the kind of drama that comes when we think about the cost of discipleship for this woman. She literally had to run and flee, being stoned by her family. What a difficult decision that she had to make in that moment. The cost of discipleship was very obvious and clear for her. It was either Jesus or the safety and comfort of her community and her family. And in that moment when she decided to follow Jesus, she told the story that she ran away singing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I wonder if us here in this room can identify with that at all. Maybe not. Maybe not. Such a high cost in this life of following Jesus. And yet I'm sure for some of us, we have. Maybe maybe in just a fraction away compared just based on the freedoms that we have here in America to worship in the way that we feel compelled to do so. But surely we felt, as true followers of Jesus, the cost of discipleship. Understand this, that that's what real discipleship is. That's what following Jesus means in the world. That's what he tells the scribes. That's what he tells us here today. That following Jesus is of great earthly cost to us. And so my encouragement to every one of you is to follow Jesus today. Continue to follow Jesus today. No matter what earthly cost may come. No matter what earthly cost. Count the cost today. Count it. Jesus wants us to count it. But He wants us to understand that following Jesus is of great earthly cost. So do that today. Follow Jesus no matter what the earthly cost. But as we see in the passage, following Jesus is not just a great earthly cost. Following Jesus is also our most urgent priority. He goes on to say this, Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me first go and bury my father. We have in our family somewhat of an inside joke. We call it the case of the first I died. Okay, so, and I wonder if that would be Latin in nature, you know, so it's when we're trying to relax. So let's relax, but first we've got to send this email. Or first I've got to do the bills. Or first I've got to send this note. Or first I've got to do the laundry. Or first I've got So we, we kind of tease each other about like, oh man, uh, yeah, let's do that. But first I've got to do this. Tell me if you understand what I'm saying. You're always scratching for some relaxation. But first I've got to do this. How about, how about even in your own uh, walk with Christ, your devotions and prayer, right? I know i got to pray or, or read the scriptures I should, but first got to. You know what I'm talking about? The first got to? Well, this guy's got a case of the first got to. That's what he's got. Right? It's kind of like when we're trying to leave. You may even experience this when you try to leave the house. Right? It's like, okay, we got to go at 10.02 or whatever. we got to go. we got to go. So we're... 10 o'clock comes, and 
well, I know we got to go, but first I got to get a water. And I got to get my jacket. And I can't find my keys. Right? And you're like standing at the door going, poor God, why? Why am I alive? You know, you feel the, the angst. You're just always stuck with the first idea. I'm going to get my keys. Why am I alive? I can't find my keys. <laughs> so you get the idea that this guy got the first idea. First let me go. First let me go and bury my father. He's wanting, you know, typically when people talk about following Jesus and having, before they follow Jesus, they're going to do, first they got to do this. It's usually something about like enjoying the things of this world, right? Like people, before they follow Jesus, they, they've got to enjoy college and all the fun and thrills of college. Before I follow Jesus, we're going to have this kind of fun in my life. Or before I follow Jesus, I've got to have these kinds of accomplishments. These are the things I'm focused on first. It would be maybe the things of this world. But what you actually see is this guy wants to obey the law, right? He wants to do something that's good. He wants to do what's right. He says, Jesus, Lord, he says, don't, don't miss that title, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. This disciple here, one of the disciples, says this to him, what he wants to do Part of doing so was giving them a proper burial, was honoring them even in their death. So this person wants to fulfill the law. So that's what he's doing. But what does Jesus say to him as he has a case of the first I got? I know that you're telling me to follow you, but understand, first I got to do this before I can follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, follow me. In the face of what is urgent in your life, or what you think is urgent and important right here and right now, in the face of that, I want you to understand that there is nothing more urgent and important than following me right now. Even things that would be understood to be good and righteous. The emphasis here from Christ is the immediacy and the urgency of this command. Even something that is good, Jesus is saying, no, there's nothing more urgent, there's nothing more important than following me right now where I'm headed. Understand this, one of the disciples. Understand this. I'm getting on the boat. Other side. That's where I'm going, and I'm going there now. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to pick one or the other. You're, you're faced with a priority and an urgency. If you're going to follow me, you got to get on the boat and you got to come with me. That's what Jesus is emphasizing here. It's now or never. So if you want to follow me, understand that following me is an urgent priority. So many of us, and I know myself, we get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. We get caught up in what we have to do right now, and we'll do what is important later. I am the worst at work about that. I get the first I got us all the time. Usually what pays is sermon prep, right? Because sermon prep is harder. 
It's easier to bang out these other things. It's sermon prep is harder. It's easy to do what is urgent and not do what is important. But we see here that Jesus is saying to this disciple and to us that that urgency and importance come together when it comes to following Jesus. It's both and. There's nothing more urgent and there's nothing more important ever than following Christ. Nothing can get in the way. Nothing can cause delay. Nothing trumps over that priority and that urgency more than Jesus Christ. It's always more urgent and important to follow Jesus. I think we have to be careful here because I think what we saw in one of our members, Bob and Deb Steves, caring for their aging parents for years and honoring them, and it's it, it just to say, like, Jesus is not putting aside or setting aside, setting aside such a priority in the life of the believer. I appreciated Ligon Duncan's words to clarify. She says this, Jesus is not saying, forget funerals. That's not what Jesus is saying. And he's making reference to that phrase, Let, leave the dead to bury their own dead. He said, Jesus is not saying, forget funerals. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying Jesus is not even alleviating his disciples of responsibilities to parents. Very important. He upholds that responsibility elsewhere. But here's what he is saying. Jesus is emphasizing that there is nothing in this life, even the death of a father, that takes priority over him. Do you see the priority? Do you see the immediacy? Do you see the urgency of what Jesus says? He says nothing takes priority over Christ. Very important for us to see. That following Jesus is the most urgent priority of our lives. And we bring this all together in this passage, and we recognize that that discipleship is following Jesus no matter what the cost as the most urgent priority of our lives. That's what this text is bringing to us today. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in the first igaza, our natural propensity to be drawn to the tyranny of the urgent. And I think this gets applied in a couple of ways. We, we often will, will give ourselves over to the idea that as parents, right, first I have to raise these kids. I've seen so many parents who love their kids, who give their lives to their kids, who do all they can to serve and help their kids. Jeopardize and even ignore some of the spiritual dynamics of our own walk with Christ. Because really that's parenting and serving and raising that becomes the primary thing rather than following Jesus means parenting. You follow me? It's easy for a parent to get lost in that. I think of fathers that come home and you think, I know I can do this. So many things you got to do around the house. First, I got to do all these things around the house and then it's easy for us to get lost in tasks. First, I've got to get this promotion at work. Then I'll give my attention and priority to Christ. First, I've got to enjoy college, as I've already alluded to. First, I've got to finish this degree. First, I've got to find a husband or a wife. First, I've got to do these things. 
we miss out on the most urgent priority of our lives, and it's simply following Jesus Christ with all that he is and all that he has done for us. I mean, we saw in Matthew 6 that it's so easy, right, that, that we can get caught up in the anxieties of life. Right? What we're going to eat, what we're going to wear. What does Jesus say to his disciples? Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Follow me. Seek the kingdom. There's no greater priority than that for you. Following Jesus is the most urgent priority of our lives, and this is what we will do no matter what the earthly cost. And I think that this, the application of living this out comes to us in both an absolute sense, right, just everything about us, the orientation of our life, the direction of our life, totally, but also in the minutia, the absolute and the minute, the smallest of details of our lives. He calls us to, whatever it costs, obey me. Pursue me, whatever it costs, as the most urgent priority of our lives. And so I'm asking you this morning, Jesus is asking us today, given the cost, the urgency, and the priority of discipleship, will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus? Are you following Jesus today? And maybe even a second part of that is, and are you calling other people to do the same. Right? If this is so important and so urgent, should it not be that we make a priority letting other people know who Christ is and calling them to follow Him? As important and significant as it is, as urgent as it is, should we not give our lives to bringing the gospel to people who do not know Jesus, who do not know His saving benefits, do not know His grace and His joy. And I think this is related. Because it would be crazy for us to talk about the cost of following Christ and the urgency of telling other people to do the same if we did not think about the joy and the benefit of doing so. In some ways, this becomes a cost-benefit analysis for us. Maybe that's a little more about my accounting background coming up. Like a cost-benefit analysis. Yes, follow Jesus. It will be a great earthly cost. But understand the benefit. Understand the benefit. And when you tell other people about the cost and call them to it, you're putting forward to them the great benefits of the gospel. The great benefits of Jesus Christ. There is no one like Him in His person, in His promises, in His salvation, and His blessing. Yes, you give up much in this earthly life, but don't forget that you gain Jesus. You know, people ask me, what are you doing in Matthews? I think I started 15 months ago. As soon as I got broke a heart beat. Let's bring people face to face with Jesus. 
Look what I'm seeing Jesus teaching, work, person. Somebody had said to us, even around that time, after we started planning, we feel like we don't hear enough about Jesus at church. You want to freak out a pastor. Tell him you haven't heard enough about Jesus lately at church. Because that's what this is all about. Amen? This is about putting forward the blessing, the joy, the, the saving benefit. The incomparable benefit of Christ. Yes, you follow Him, and it's at great earthly cost, but don't forget you're following Him. You're going where He goes. You're knowing Him. You're hearing His teaching. You're following His voice. You have Christ when you follow Christ. And He gives Himself to you. That's why the old saints, as they age, you say you're young, you want to hear about, like, what faith is like from an old saint. Talk to an old saint. They're not going to tell you about their cars and their homes. They're going to tell you all that stuff is rubbish. Take the world, give me Jesus. I've had it all. I've seen it all. Nothing compares to Christ. Nothing compares to Christ. So give all that other stuff up, you young ones, and just follow Christ. Whatever it costs is the most urgent priority of your life. Great cost, but don't forget, we're following Jesus. We're going where He goes. And don't forget that He did this, right? He counted the cost. He knew what He was doing when He came to the world to live this life, to empty Himself of everything in, the, in, in heaven and all the glory, and to come here in humility, to live a perfect, sinless life, to die on the cross for our sins. You talk about cost. He gave Himself all for us. He left nothing on the table. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did that so that we would never experience that. He endured the cost that we might follow Him and receive all the saving blessings and benefits of just knowing Him. Isn't that what Paul says in Philippians 2? I had the resume upon resume. It's all garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you know that today? Do you know that today? Do you know the surpassing worth of Christ? There's great earthly cost in discipleship, but don't miss the surpassing worth of Christ. pioneer missionary to Africa. He was speaking to students at Cambridge University. And he was talking about the cost of discipleship. He says this, anxiety, sickness, suffering or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver. Maybe that's you here today. Maybe hearing about this cost causes you to pause, causes your spirit to waver. He goes on to say, but let this only be for a moment. Think about it. All these, 
are nothing. All these costs are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. He concludes by saying, I never made a sacrifice. All the sacrifices he made because of the exchange that took place, because of the blessings that he received, all that he lost in this life, his conclusion, I never made a sacrifice. When you know the joy and the worth of Christ, when you know his saving promises and his benefits, when you receive that by faith and you follow him no matter what the cost, you too will understand that all that we uh, forfeit in this life is no loss at all. It's no loss at all compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, compared to the glory that will one day be revealed in us. Amen? Follow Jesus. No matter what the earthly cost, it's the greatest, most urgent priority of your life. Amen? Let's pray. to us. You never cease to provide all that we need for life and godliness. Your word has spoken to us today. In some ways you've confronted us. In other ways you've encouraged us. And your call remains. You ask us to follow you. Follow you. So Father, we come to you weak and tired and confused and anxious and scared. But we know We know together that Christ is worth all the earthly cost in this life. I pray that that you would encourage the faint-hearted here today, that you would remind them of your promises, of your hope, you remind them of your goodness toward them, that you would draw them to yourself. We pray if there's anybody here that has a superficial commitment to Jesus based on just emotionalism, emotionalism or whatever, Lord, I pray that you deepen their devotion, deepen their commitment, woo them to yourself, draw them to yourself in these times. Lord, fill us with your spirit to continue to take day by day, step by step, steps towards you. And give us the great joy of knowing you. Let us join in with Paul and David Livingston as we celebrate you. There's no sacrifice in the end because we have you. Give us that joy. Give us that hope. And sustain us through every step of the way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.